0: You can see in your service outline, and I hope you grabbed one as you came in, uh, the title of today's sermon. It's written down there as Know Your Stuff. Uh, But just to make things super helpful, uh, that was changed last night after the service outlines were printed. um, Because, whilst, and I think as we go through the passage, you'll see that knowing your stuff, knowing the gospel, uh, does come across as incredibly important. Um, the big idea um, that I actually want to draw out of today's passage, and that I think is actually the big idea, is that the struggle is worth it. So that's my that's the big idea that we're going to be looking at today. The struggle is worth it. So. Sort of a, it's a a pretty common joke around reforming that, you know, Russ, he grew up on a farm. Um, I grew up on a farm as well. Uh, I know how crazy is that, Uh, but seriously, I grew up in a small town called Finlay, just over the border into New South Wales. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm there. Uh, Lots of early mornings, uh, lots of late nights, like 5am starts. Uh, And during some summer holidays, uh, midnight milkings. Um, So big starts there. But rain, hail, shine, the cows have got to be milked. Um, The calves have got to be fed. And if you've got a herd of 150 cows, you've got 150 calves. And that's not taking into account twins. And 150 is a very small herd. Um, So you're feeding them but then you're also fixing the fences that the cows break because they don't care. Um, And you're also killing weeds because where where there is ground, there will be weeds, and there's an awful lot of ground, so you can imagine there's an awful lot of weeds. And so there's just these big days full of jobs. And some of you might be listening to yourself and thinking, not worth it. Uh, And you might be right. Uh, But for 20-odd years, uh, for my dad, it was worth it. Uh, The 5 a.m. starts, the big days, the everything that goes along with it, it was worth it. Until 2008. uh, We sold the herd, got out of farming. Um, We were eight years into the millennium drought, um, which lasted another two or so after we got out. Um, but after those eight long years, it wasn't worth it. The struggle, the pain, the heartache just didn't add up anymore. And so dad swapped one very hard job for another. Uh, he's currently the pastor uh, out at Balranald Presbyterian. Um, and he gets to get out of bed later. Gets to get out of bed later. Yep, I got that right. Um, but. Still a really hard job. He struggles. And yet, for all of that struggle, Dad plans to do that job for years to come. Because it is worth it. Despite the pain, the worry, the heartache, the stress, everything that goes along with that job, to him, it is worth it. Now, last week, we heard from Chris a very deep and expositional dive into the preeminence of Jesus. We heard about how he was the firstborn of all creation and that through his death and resurrection that we have been reconciled to God. And so now, as we start this little section, looking at what we had last week, we're moving into what Paul is saying this week, and he starts, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So first off, there are some things there that are seriously crazy to the world, but pretty common to the Christian life and teaching, namely that Paul is rejoicing in his suffering for the Colossians' sake. Paul is suffering for his church, and he's rejoicing in that. And like I said, it is so weird to think that that is the case. Uh, but for those of us who believe, for those of us who have believed for a while, um, it's, it's not that strange. Um, and I hope it's not strange to hear that we are expecting suffering. Uh, If you're out there and you're new to Christianity, um, it's great to have you. And I rejoice in your salvation. Uh, And I don't mean to burst any bubbles, but in the Christian life, there will be suffering. There will also be some of the deepest and greatest joy uh, that has ever been experienced this side of heaven. And there's happiness as well, um, but... The joy that I'm talking about is a deep and abiding joy uh, of knowing that our suffering means something. It's not worthless, it's not pointless, but it is part of a plan and a purpose. Take Paul's suffering, for instance. He is suffering for the sake of this church in Colossae, and he rejoices because he's fulfilling the point of his existence he was given the role of being a minister by God. His life revolves around making the word of God fully known. Now, if you know about Paul, you know that he was a Christian hunter, which is not to say a Christian that goes out hunting, but rather a Jewish leader who hunted Christians. And now we see here that it is his, it is his divine commission his God-given job to explain the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. What a backflip, an absolute 180 to go from where he was to where he is now. It's an amazing work of God in Paul's life, uh, which then leads us eventually to his current set of circumstances. Paul is suffering, According to scholars, he is most likely in the midst of his first Roman imprisonment. Um, And we can also see that in the final verse of this letter, chapter 4, verse 18, uh, Paul asks the church to remember his chains. So he's in prison. But he rejoices in his suffering because either way, he can reveal the word of God. He can still do what he was put on this earth to do. And that brings us to my next point. The reason Paul was able to rejoice in his suffering because the outcome of his work made it all worth it. He was able to share the word of God with the churches and people of his time and grow their faith. And knowing that he was making the word of God fully known made it worth it. As we continue in this passage, Uh, I think we might see something that's a little bit groundbreaking, uh, something that would have really shaken things up. Uh, When it says, To them, that is the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So, just a little bit of early church history, or I guess early human history. If we go all the way back to Abram, we know that God's chosen people were the Jews. We know that if you wanted to be in, if you wanted to be saved, you needed to be Jewish. And that was the case all the way through human history until we get to a little-known but highly influential figure. Uh, You might know his name, uh, this bloke called Jesus. Uh, Jesus quite literally changed the world, not only because he was the full and complete incarnation of God, the Word becoming flesh and living among us, but because he made a way for Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God. For thousands of years, the path was closed off except for a select group of people. But now it is wide open to all different types of people. And this is groundbreaking to consider. Um, if you've been on social media, um, if you spend a bit of time on there, you might have come across the term, uh, which has been around for a while, but it's starting to make a, a bit of a resurgence, growing in usage. Uh, the phrase is gatekeeping. Um basically means keeping people out of the inner circle, out of this trend or this piece of knowledge, keeping it to yourself. You know, you know something, but you aren't letting anyone else in on it. Um, And that is, that's gatekeeping. And for so long, admittance into heaven was a closely guarded privilege. Uh, But just like that, changes. The temple curtain is torn in two. Jesus cries out, it is finished. And God brings Paul to a place to preach not to the Jewish people he loved so much, but the Gentiles, the unclean, ungodly people. God has thrown wide the gates to heaven inasmuch as Jesus is still the only way, truth and life. But anyone who believes he gave the right to be called sons of God, not just anyone who is Jewish and believes, but anyone. The gatekeeping is done. And so, the kingdom of God is expanding, as Gentiles hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save them and bring them back into a right relationship with God. They can have hope that after life, There is an eternity of joy. So Paul, Timothy and their crew, they're proclaiming the saving work of Jesus for the goal we see before us there, to present everyone mature in Christ. They don't present it to win fame. They're not trying to build bank accounts. They're not trying to bring about or build any sort of earthly platform. But they selflessly point to the one who is above everything, that everyone who hears can grow in their faith. As it was Paul's mission, so it is the mission of everyone who stands here at this pulpit to share the gospel, to grow your maturity. And we see drive for maturity coming through in other letters as well. Um, As Katie so helpfully read for us earlier, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, it says, "'For though by this time you ought to be teachers,' there is a natural progression to what sort of food you eat. When you were babies, you had milk, just milk, nothing else. And then, as you got a bit bigger, you got some mashed-up apples. We're in squishy things. Um, They're only solid in so much as they don't pour as well as milk. And then, eating all that mush, you get bigger again, and you get onto real solids. I'm thinking steak, burgers, hot chips, lasagna. I could go on, but I shouldn't. But you get into some real heavy, sustaining food. In the same way, the Christian walk is a progression of food, or more specifically, a progression of complexity and depth. So you start with the basics. You start with the milk, the facts. Things like... God made the world. Humans messed it up with sin. Jesus came to earth. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus rose again. And we are saved because of this. And this is the gospel. And when we are new to the face, that's all we need. When we are baby Christians, that's all we need to be saved, to be born again to a new life. And that will sustain you for a time. But as we grow in our faith, as we walk the walk a little more, we need something more. We need a little more depth, a little more... Like you you grow your spiritual teeth. And so we look at things like the Trinity. We examine the words ending in Shun. We learn more about the wider aspects of our faith. We discuss things like the end times, predestination, what heaven is like. And we try and figure out God to the best of our ability while also understanding that He is so far above us that we can only understand Him as far as our fragile human minds will allow us. And the goal of the Christian teacher is to teach and preach so that listeners grow in maturity. And I think it should be the goal of every Christian to likewise work at growing in maturity. Because growing in that maturity is worth it. Like it says above in Hebrews, as we grow in maturity, we can tell the difference between good and evil. We can make judgment calls on what is good teaching and what is bad teaching. And that is a skill that is so incredibly important. And we're going to see the first defense. The bad teaching right now we are going to see what maturity in christ looks like we see that in the next section where paul writes this for this i toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me for i want you to know how great a struggle i have for you and those at laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul toils to build others' maturity in Christ. When I hear the word toil, my mind automatically conjures up this mental image of physical labor in the sun. It's like you know, digging a well in the desert, or pouring concrete in December, like doing work that is hot and dry and dusty. Um, that picture may or may not resonate with you, but to me, like that, that's what toil is, to physically work hard in the most difficult of circumstances. You might have a different picture that comes to mind. Uh, it may be less physical labour and more social situations. So it might be that getting up and talking to a crowd is toilsome, that that is tough. Uh, That making small talk is incredibly difficult. Um, that being involved in conflict is dread-inducing. But whatever toil that word brings to mind, I think we can all agree that it is hard to toil is to be in an exceedingly difficult position. But that is what Paul is doing. He is working so incredibly hard to build up this church in maturity in Christ because to him, the work is worth it. And he wants them to know. He wants the church to know just how hard he is working because it shows them something. Do you know what it shows them? It shows them that they are worth it, that those people that Paul never even met, that they are worth every single day of being in prison. They are worth every single moment of deprivation, of pain, of struggle. Now, we have the example of Paul but we also have an example much closer to home. Consider the elders of reforming. If you've been here for a while, if you know, then you, you know there have been some hard times. Um, you know that the elders have really struggled, that they have found the job of ministry to be tremendously tough. And yet, they are still here. They are still doing their job. Why? Because, people of reforming, you are worth it. For the sake of the gospel and your soul, the job is worth it. That is why our elders are still here. And it is, in part, why Paul wrote this letter. He's making his struggle and work known to the church, not to induce guilt but to bring about encouragement. That this church will meet together and be knit together in love. Now, do any of you guys know how to knit? Yeah, some of you. I don't. Surprise. Uh, I know, my granny showed me many years ago, um, but I was very young and only vaguely paying attention. But, one thing about knitted garments, they're very connected. And I can almost hear you say, well, duh, that's the point of clothing. But I had a bit of a look at a jumper that my granny knitted uh, this week, and I actually did. I'm not making that up. I actually went and had a look at this jumper. And when you look, you can see like all of the threads are unique. You can see the individual like threads of wool, and they're all sitting next to each other and overlapping. But then you stand back a little bit and it all disappears into the whole thing. Like you've got an individual thread in the sleeve and then it blends into the torso section and then the whole thing is just individual lines that blend and mesh into the whole thing. Just one solid thing. And I think that... That's like the church at Colossae. And I also think that that's what we should be like here as well. That when the love of one of us ends, the next begins. But you can't tell where that changeover is. We want reforming to be a solid garment of a church. Intimately connected together in love. And working together to reach this goal collectively, and that goal is Christ. You see, you see where Paul says that we would be knit together? It's so we would reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Once again, Paul is saying that he wants the church to be connected so that all of us can be working together for maturity in Christ. We are to reach full assurance of understanding, full knowledge of God's mystery, and that is Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things that make a church unique, make a church different, a lot of things that make church a unique group to be a part of. And one thing that stands out to me most, though, is the way we know each other the way we are all so different and yet so connected. In normal circumstances, there's not necessarily a whole lot that would join us all together. There's not necessarily one thing that would have brought all of us here to the same place at the same time on the same day. But one thing has, one person, and that's Jesus. He's the source of all All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he has brought every single one of us here today. Not just so we can stand around and say what a good bloke he was and wonder what he's up to now. But we are gathered to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him. So that we can be presented mature in him on the last day. And Paul is working so hard to build that maturity for an incredibly good reason as well. He does explore this later on uh, in this letter, uh, but it gives us a little bit of a taste now of why he toils and struggles so hard. He writes, "'I say this in order that no one may delude you "'with plausible arguments. "'For though I am absent in body, "'yet I am with you in spirit, "'rejoicing to see your good order "'and the firmness of your face in Christ.'" The reason Paul is working so hard is because while the shepherd is away, the wolves will play. A quick question for you all. Has anyone here ever been tricked? Like you believed in something that you later then found out to be false? Uh, yeah, that happens to me a lot. Um, not about anything too important, thankfully, uh, but when someone tells me a story with the context with the assurance that it is true I'll generally believe them Michelle likes to tell a story about her convincing me that she had a bionic toe yeah I argue I didn't actually believe that except for perhaps maybe a second there was a part of me that was like Yeah, like, I guess it's possible. Alex, he tries to trick us as well. But when he does it, he's not very good at it. He will say something that is clearly wrong and then be like, Ah, I tricked you. Good job, bud. But what we see here is sort of the two big ends of the scale, the two sort of potential outcomes when it comes to being tricked. You see, when someone comes along and says something that is clearly wrong, like a child making something up, you can pretty easily tell that it's not true. Those aren't the people Paul is worried about. But when someone comes along and says something plausible, it might actually make you stop and think... Did God really say? Are you sure that's what it means when it says? Some scholars would argue. See, Paul is well aware that people will come along with the express intent to draw people away from the Christian faith, and not necessarily with obvious heresy or grandiose declarations, but plausible arguments. So it might seem like a trivial thing at first, but kind of makes sense. Someone will say, oh, well, what the Bible actually means here is, and then it puts a little chip in the house that is your face. And then you listen more and you hear something else and you'll hear, God wants you to have a great life now and, and then that chip turns into a crack. And then another thing, if God was really loving, he... And then the crack gets a little wider, a little longer, starts to spread. Before too long, a bit of the roof falls off the house. The walls fall down. And that solid house that you built is now so cracked and chipped and broken that it collapses. So Alec went through a phase a little while ago where he was all about the movie Encanto. Now, if you've seen the movie, you'll know about their house. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but in this house, sorry, in the movie, this house, solid, good, working, everything perfect. But there are cracks that form and start to spread, and eventually, brings the house down. The family, the people living in that, were worried about being perfect enough, being strong enough, being good enough. In this movie, the house was held together and lived by this magic candle that they called the miracle. But they forgot the purpose of the miracle. And so they were misled about the gifts the miracle gave them. They were told things about their gifts and about themselves that they believed. But these things weren't right, and it brought the house down. And we can see the same thing with people of this current age. There are loads of people out there who were once really big in the Christian world, but have since renounced their faith. You can see them on Twitter or Insta sharing their story of how they deconstructed their faith, and then how they moved away from the gospel and lost their firm foundation. Not for the people in Colossae and Laodicea, though. Paul rejoiced to see the firm faith of this church, and I rejoice to see the firm faith of reforming. The way to keep that faith strong and intact is to know what you believe and why you believe it we are meant to be working towards maturity in Christ. We are meant to be working towards knowing everything there is to know about our Savior. And, and we are meant to be putting this knowledge into practice, living the life Jesus wants us to live. And we do this because it is worth it. Now, some of you out there might know this about me, I might have mentioned it, or you might have suspected for a long time. Uh, And it's a common comment in our house uh, that I am, for want of a better term, a bit autistic. One common trait among people along the spectrum is the specialization of knowledge. And this can show itself in different ways. For instance, you might see this play out uh, in people knowing everything about their one specific topic. Uh, Or, like me, it shows itself in knowing lots of different things about lots of different things. So, when Michelle wants to know something, or needs to make a choice, she will ever so subtly ask me what I think about it, and maybe mention that it might need a little research. And I am gone. Like, I am hyper-focused in on that new topic. I am making spreadsheets Finding another variable and then making more spreadsheets. um I think honestly, I scare her a bit sometimes. Like she'll mention something she wants to look into for for next year, for well down the track, and then I come back in half an hour with a fully formed plan. Uh, any of you guys relate to that? Like, not necessarily the insane research, but. Like, the desire to know things, to be knowledgeable about things, to be good at something. Um, You know, like, you guys might have your specialised knowledge. You might know trains inside and out. Might be pop songs from the 90s. Might be a, a really niche topic that no one knows much about. You might be a musical genius. You might have so much information in your head about that really specific topic but what we are doing here this morning is so much more important we aren't here to talk about cars or music but what we are we aren't here to discuss weather or sports and all of those things are great but we are all here to grow more like Jesus We are called to funnel the same time and energy, that same passion into knowing more, into Jesus. We are called to have the same desire and the drive to become more like him. And we are doing that so that when the deceiver comes along, they won't get anyone. We are here so that when the voices of the world try and trick us, we won't fall for it. We are here so that when we stumble, when we fall, that we can get back up again. It's like the lyrical genius Wamba in their classic hit, Tub Thumping. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. And when we get back up again, we know that it is not in our own strength, but through the grace of the man who died for our sins and rose for our hope, that we can keep on getting up. Friends, we are here to grow in our maturity of faith. We are here so we will know our stuff. Sounds a little scary and you might think a little dramatic, but outside these walls, the world wants us to give up and believe a lie. The world wants us to move on from Jesus. They want us to think that it's not worth it. But... As the disciple Peter said to Jesus, Where else have we to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? My dear friends, we're about to wrap up. I'll pray, then we'll sing, but I want to leave you with this Know what the gospel is, know what it means to your life, know what you believe. And why you believe it. There will be suffering. But trust in God when I tell you. It is worth it. Let's pray. Dear Lord you are amazing. You sent your son to die. To save us from our sin. You gave us a way to become your people. You sought us and brought us back to you. Thank you now, as we go out into the world, please guide us. Help us to remember your word. Help us to remember you. Until we gather again as your flock, knit together in love, to rejoice in your Son. I pray this in his glorious name. Amen.